Thanks a lot. Can we uh, show some appreciation to our amazing team today? Those at the back, those up here, all the host team. It is very good to see you today. Welcome to Light Church. If this is your first time, a uh, big welcome. It's very nice to see you. Um, and as Holly said, today is the second of our Vision Weekends. And um, as a church, every single year, we spend a little bit of time, uh, myself as the pastor and then us as a, as a team, as a leadership team, just asking God, where is it you're calling us in this next 12 months? And we see these as little coaching moments. And last year, we believe that God led us to this word conviction, to be a people of conviction. And uh, we did some mad stuff last year, and we had a lot of fun. And then through till this year, uh, the last couple of months, we've been working and, and looking at what's, what, what's this next 12 months look like, and really seeking God about where He is leading us. And we really felt that um, this, this line, by invitation only, uh, is going to be a focus for us for the next 12 months. So we're going to um, dive into this again today. If you missed last week, um, you can go and watch the recording. And so let us know if you want that, or if you um, are on our mailing list, you already would have got a copy. Um, but yeah, so we're going to dig into this a little bit today. What I want us to do today is look at how we can be part of this. And as Holly said, this is our Vision Giving Sunday. And uh, we at Light Church, the way we run our vision is we do a week where we talk about what God is calling us to, and then the next week we give you an opportunity to give into this. And uh, we would never ask you to do anything that me and Holly aren't doing ourselves. And so 9 a.m., as soon as that giving window opened this morning, we were in there. And uh, I don't say that at all to brag. It's more to say we're all in this together. And uh, so we're going to have a little bit of a look today at the idea of vision giving. What is that? Why do we do it? And then we're going to spend most of our time thinking, how can we as the church participate in this vision for the next year? So I remember about... Um, it must have been like July 2021. In fact, it would have been just before that, actually. And we were negotiating. We were just coming out of COVID. We were negotiating with, um, with Mill Farm, where we are now, where we meet, about using this as our venue for church. And uh, we were going back and forward. We were sort of negotiating figures and prices and, you know, what our needs were, how we could support that, all that sort of stuff, figuring out how it is we were going to use this venue for our church gatherings. And uh, we went back and forward. I was in communication with um, the office here probably, I don't know, three, four times a week. So I'd saved their number in my phone as Mill Farm Office. And uh, one day, it was probably, yeah, maybe June, June, July time. And I get a phone call from the office, which again, was not uncommon. I'd get these phone calls quite often to talk about you know, what time you in? What do you need? Like, are there enough chairs? All of those things. I get this phone call, and um, I'm, I'm there like, hey, you know, hey, it's Dan speaking, and there's, ah, oh, it's, it's whoever from Mill Farm. And I thought, amazing, like, nice, nice to speak to you. What's up? And she said, well, I, I just want to ask if, um, if you would want any season tickets for, for AFC. And I was like, how generous of them. Yeah. Uh, well, that's very nice of you. Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, like, how come? Well, we're just ringing to see if you would want some. And I was like, oh, this is very kind. And in my head, I'm getting a phone call from these people, you know, a couple of days a week. And, you know, we're building a bit of a relationship. I thought, this is really nice of them. How kind, how generous. And I said, how many? She said, well, how many do you want? It's like, great question. Well, um, pff, 10. How about 10? She said, oh, amazing. That'd be great. 
yeah, so good. 10 season tickets, that'd be really good. And I was saying to her, this is very generous. I didn't, didn't expect this at all. And she said, oh, well, you know, just, just, just ringing around. And, um, and I was like, just to clarify, <clears throat> it, like, is this for Light Church? And she said, well, it can be for whoever you want. Wow, that's very generous of them. I was, I was quite, I was in shock. I was like, this must be part of the way they, you know, are hospitable to people. And um, and as the conversation went on, it still sounded too good to be true. But I was, I was taking the opportunity. It's like, yeah, sure, it'd be great for teams, you know. And uh, the further conversation comes in, she said, I'll just transfer you, and we'll 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 set up payment. I was like, so, <clears throat> sorry, pay, uh, payment. Is this not a gift for the church? And she said, uh, no, we're just calling around people to ask if you'd want a season ticket and your name's on our database. I was like, oh, ah, right, yeah, yeah, right. And then I had to go through the awkward unwinding of said 10-minute conversation, how I, you know, just accepted this, what I thought was a gift. And uh, through our crossed wires, I had to say, I'm really sorry, I actually don't want any at this given time. Oh, you know, for her, you could imagine, like, this is quite the U-turn, sir, um, 10 to zero, you know. Like, what, what happened? Did I say something? You know, it, it was quite an awkward conversation. Then there's, I'm really sorry, cross wires. I get a phone call after, and she was using the office number, and it was, from, long story short, I ended up backing out of it. And we'd had season tickets for a little bit, and a few of us from the church, we wanted to support and be there. And uh, I'm sure we will again, but at that time, we were like, no, sorry, we, we, we don't want any. And uh, I found it really interesting. Isn't it funny how when money is involved, and when we look at things a certain way, when there is often a cost, it can completely change the way we approach something. Isn't it interesting that often in life, when there are, is a cost to something, even if we really want it, or even if we would say yes, or even if we are excited by the idea, often we are so put off by the cost of things that we say no to things. Think about it. Think about athletes for a second here. Think about people top of their game. Cristiano Ronaldo, maybe a controversial one at the moment for those of you following football, but Cristiano Ronaldo, top of his game, or maybe just past top of his game, he spent years and years tuning his diet, saying no to social things, being so dedicated and committed and spending, I'm assuming, millions to make sure that he is the athlete that he wants to be. There is always a cost to being great. And the thing is, in life, there are very, very, very few things that don't cost anything. In fact, I would go as far as saying that nothing is free. Like, we've just spent a few moments in communion talking about this free gift of grace in the sense that it doesn't cost us, but it costs Jesus everything. See, greatness and things that have this necessary impact always have a cost. And I wonder in life whether you've been in a position where you've been told by God, God has breathed something into you, a a, a dream or a vision or a desire or something, and you're excited by it. God's asked me to do this thing. God's sent me on this mission. God's placed me in in this lifestyle. He's sent me on this road. And as soon as we get on there and we realize that there is a cost to it, suddenly we can be like, oh, I don't, know if I'm, I don't know if I'm in for that. In fact, you know, I think I'm okay where I am. 
And the thing is, it's interesting. I wonder sometimes if the real reason that people live with, you know, I, really, I hate the word potential, right? I mean, potential's good if it's realized, but potential can also be one of the most frustrating things to see. Because I wonder if the real reason that so many people settle for being people of potential rather than being the people that God has made them to be is because we're sometimes unwilling to count the cost. And I say this, I've been here in my, I've been in this place in my life time and time again where I'm weighing up, is this a cost that I actually want to count here? To be who God's made me to be. Do I, do I really want to count the cost of standing out a little bit? Or do I really want to count the cost of sacrificing my time or my energy or my money or whatever to be involved in this thing? Sometimes we can be so severed from the purpose that God has placed within us because we're afraid to count the cost. And the same is true for the church. I, I love vision. I'm a person that's always excited by vision. And again, I've been in the same spot. Now, I wonder sometimes when we cast vision in the church or when we hear things that God says, we can be so excited and we can be so, yes, I want that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I want to see a move of God in my time. And yeah, I want to live in, in a community of people that are set on fire and free and living the life they were made to live. We want that. But sometimes we forget that actually there's a cost. And a lot of churches are in places where they're unwilling to count the cost to be who God has made them to be, to have the impact that God has placed them there to have. There is always a cost. And I want to say this before we jump into this morning. I'm always proud of us as a community. I'm always proud of us as a church. Because time and time again, this church has counted the cost. Financially, with sacrificing time, energy, this church has always counted the cost. And I pray that, and when I'm around preaching in different places, we are known as a church that are hugely generous in our time, in our money, in our efforts. That's who we are. So in a way, I'm preaching to the choir this morning because I know that we are a church that is willing to count the cost, but we find ourselves here again, as we will do every year and at multiple times throughout the year, where God is saying, hey, I'm pulling you into something. I'm drawing you into future here. Are you willing to count the cost? And I pray that every year, as we stand on the edge of that void, looking out at what God is calling us to, I pray that we will always commit to counting the cost financially, with our efforts, with our time, with all of who we are. Not just to this church, but to build the kingdom of God where we are, in our worlds. But there is always a cost. So what I want us to do real quickly is, before we jump into some vision stuff, is some of you might be like, why do we do a vision giving Sunday? You know, I know the church historically and people often associate church with wanting people's money. Now, I hope if you've been here long enough, you know that's not who we are and that's not how we operate by any means. But once a year on a Sunday like this, on this Sunday, on Vision Giving Sunday, we want to offer an opportunity for you guys to get involved. Why do we do it? The first thing is this. When we cast vision, a Vision Giving Sunday like this is a very physical opportunity for you to say, to say to yourself, to say to the church, to say to God, I'm in. I want to see that in this church at this time. 
I want to see that move of God here. Not that God's moving is based on how much you give financially. Don't get me wrong. It is about your participation. Because God doesn't have to use you, right? He doesn't need you. But his chosen method to work in the world is through who? His people. God wants to use you to further his kingdom on this earth. So a giving Sunday like this is an amazing opportunity for you to say, yeah, I'm in. Another thing is, it shows that when us as a church come together, when we pull together, God can move upon all that is given. God can move upon the generosity, can move upon the availability of his church. When we all pull together and say, we are in this together, from whether this is your first time or whether you've been here for 30 years, when we pull together, what does it say in the Bible? That when God's people pull together, God moves upon that. God always blesses unity. When we come and we give of our gifts into the church, God blesses it and God multiplies it. And then a very, very practical thing here. We are, again, known as a generous church. Okay, we've been able to help loads of other churches out with different projects and different things. And how do we do that? The faithful giving of people like you and me that faithfully give into this church. And this is the thing. Ministry costs money. And I don't say that tongue-in-cheek. I don't say that to be like, oh, hey, don't you know? You know, like things need to be paid for. That's not what it is. It's if we want to see what God is calling us into. I believe God will provide for us, but he always invites participation in that. Like I said, ministry costs money. When we as a church commit to say, yeah, I'm excited about some of the stuff we announced last week. Then you and I, let's not stand in that place where we're excited about it, but we're not willing to count the cost. But let me caveat a few things this morning in case you're like, wow, this is heavy. He's really asking for my money. Let me encourage you with this. I am far more interested in your involvement in this vision than the amount of money you give into this vision. And I say that completely hand on heart. I'm not really bothered what you give. God will, has always and will always provide for this church at the exact time we need it. I could tell you countless stories about how things have lined up in the most miraculous of ways. I am not bothered about how much you give. That's not what this is about. I'd love to see such a large percentage of people in our church involved in this. You might be here this morning saying, Dan, I, I can't really give. You could give a penny. Yeah, but what good is that? Well, the stories I read in the Bible about little kids who gave their lunch to Jesus and Jesus fed 13,000 people with it. That's the God that you're giving your penny to. I say, I'm more bothered about your involvement in this vision than the amount of money that you give in this vision. So today, as we, as we open this giving window for the next six days, I want you to remember this. This is about being involved, participating in what God wants to do in this church. It is not about a specific level that you have to hit. I want to encourage you, be generous. Give like it matters. Really ask God to confirm to you how you can play a part in this. But I want to encourage you, play your part in this. Because it is absolutely necessary. God has brought you to a church like this for a time like this. And maybe some of you are wondering, well, I kind of give every month. Do I just like, do I just divert? Do I just, let, let, just let me def define some terms for you. When we, these aren't like 
superficial things. This is just to give you a breakdown of it. And we can argue about it later if you want. But in Light Church, we believe in three sorts of giving. The first thing you would call your tithe. Now, again, some people don't like the word tithe. It's an Old Testament word. Like, I'd argue we'd see it before the law, but again, we can argue about it later. But the bottom line is this, the biblical value of generosity. Every single one of us as a Christian is called to give our first and our best to God. It is a Christian virtue right back to the early church in the, the first century. It predates the law. We see it all throughout the New Testament. Whether you want to give 10%, well, whatever, that's between you and God. But I want to encourage you, every single one of us should be sowing into the church. Like I said, I would never ask you to do something that we are not doing. Me and Holly tithe every single month and have done. I've tithed since I was six years old. I'm so grateful that my parents set me on a foundation. Since I was a young kid, it has always been a virtue of mine. And I can promise you this, and this is not a sales ploy. Believe me, I can't communicate enough just how, how little I am bothered about how much you give. It is about your heart in this. But God has always provided for my needs since I was a young kid. Anything, anytime I've been in a position where I've been like, I don't know how I'm going to make this, God has always come through. Okay, is it some formula, Dan tithe for longer than me? Does that mean God provides? No, not at all. Not at all. But tithing is saying, God, I trust you with my finance. My finance is not my master. God, you are my master and you are my provider, not this income. So that's the first sort of thing. Like I said, the word tithe simply means tenth. So typically in Christianity, people would give 10% of their income. And the second sort of group of, of giving is offerings. And we see this throughout the New Testament where people feel compelled to give into the church. And this is something like maybe there is a, a project or a thing or in, the, in the church of Galatians and Ephesus, they would take up these offerings to give to Jerusalem because the church just couldn't function without them. These, these offerings given into the church that would be over and above your tithe. That would be the second sort of group of giving that we see in the Bible. And the third is gifts. These would be like interpersonal gifts. You know when you fail, you just want to give someone some money, pay for their lunch, or you pay for someone's petrol, or you give something to a Christian charity, or you sponsor a, a kid, or whatever it might be. Those types of things. And again, these are not legalistic rules for you to follow in this sense. These are just helpful distinctions as we stand on the edge of a given week like this. Just so you know that this is, this is not a campaign for us to raise money. Okay, This is about you being involved in the vision of this church. All of us pulling together to say we believe that God wants to do something special here. So I would encourage you, if you're not already tithing, I'm saying this with the purest of intentions, start tithing because you will see God provide for you. You will see, you will feel the grace of God in those situations that you find yourself in. I promise you, I've experienced it myself. And then today is not about reallocating that into a vision offering. It is about us saying, look, I want to be involved in this. I want to give out of a place of generosity. And that's between you and God. I don't need to know. And just so you know, I don't know who gives what in this church. A lot of pastors know every single detail about everything. Not, I'm not interested. I'm interested about how many people in our church are behind what we're doing. That's all I'm bothered about. So that's all I see. I don't know who gives. I don't know who gives what or anything like that. Just so it's super transparent. But I want you to know that I really believe that God wants to do something. And let me say this before we go on here. I know I've labored this a little. But it is not lost on me that we are doing a given day in the middle of a cost of living crisis. Okay, that is not lost on me, and it's definitely not unfelt by me either. But I want to say this. 
the God I read about in the Bible. And in fact, I don't want to say but, this is an and, because we can acknowledge things with the reality of things and we can acknowledge things in faith as well. Those things aren't in opposition. I read in the Bible that God says, I will make you like an evergreen in the desert. I will cause life to spring up in the most desolate of places. You will be fed and watered in the middle of a famine and a drought. I will make highways through the oceans and through the deserts. I will make water spring from the driest of mountains. That's the God that we serve. So when you and I come to a position like this, we, we would have every reason as a church to retreat. You know what? Maybe we'll talk about giving next year. Maybe we'll, do, maybe we'll do that once the cost of living stuff is over. You know what? I don't want to rob you of the opportunity to show God, to give back to Him in honor and worship. I don't want to rob you of the opportunity to see God sustain you in the driest of times. This, this would be an easy opportunity for a church to retreat. But the God I read about says, in the most upside down of times, you will find your balance. And I want to encourage you. That's what we have seen in this church. That's what we have seen personally. And I believe that you can see it in your own life too. This is not a time for us to step back, but for us to, it's a time for us to lean into this. You're like, Dan, but I just can't afford, I just can't afford to give. That's totally fine. Okay, this is again, not a ploy to get you to give to this church. This is an encouragement to say that I believe that we will see amazing things in our church. That this year, I believe that people will find hope and home in this church. I believe that people's futures will be radically altered. I believe that people's, uh, people's hearts will be restored. I believe that people's bodies will be healed. I believe that people will come to know Jesus for the first time. And that we will see our neighbors and our friends at the school gates and our friends at work worshiping alongside us in church. I believe we will see it. So is this a time for the church to retreat? Absolutely not. Is it time for the church to step up and step forward? Because it's not based on us. It's based on Him and His power. So by invitation only. I'm excited about this. I've had a lot of feedback over the past week. And as we were journeying towards Vision Sunday, I had a lot of conversations with people asking what God's been saying. And it just seemed to really line up to us that so many people say, I'm starting to feel like I really need to share this, this thing I've got. I'm hearing people say, I'm thinking about inviting my friend who's never been to church before. I'm thinking about maybe, you know, inviting some of my coworkers to church. And I'm hearing these things as I'm beginning to prepare for this vision service last week. And I'm like, okay, God, I can see you doing something here. It's, you're, you're calling the church. So we looked at Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Chris, if you want to flick it up on the screen for me. And it says this, everyone who calls help God gets help. Okay, that's a promise. Every single person who calls on the name of Jesus, he will help. If you right here, right now say, Jesus, I need you, he will help you. That is the promise of our God. And this is where we're going to hang on the, for the next 12 months. So I'm not going to preach this every week, obviously, but you get what I'm saying. And it says, but how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And this is it. And how can they hear if nobody tells them? How can they hear if nobody tells them? 
I believe that this year God is calling us to be a church that goes out. A church that doesn't just exist within our four walls. A church that takes up the call to live out our faith publicly. A church that stands for who it is God has made us to be as individuals and as a church. I believe that it is time for the church to step into that space in society and culture and to offer a different way to live. A beautiful alternative. I believe that that is what God is calling us to do. So what I want us to do is we're going to read from uh, Matthew this morning. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 5. So if you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read from um, the NIV, just so you know. Matthew 5, we're going to read 13 through to 16. And it says this. Some of it I'll uh, flip up on the screen, Chris, if you go to the next one for me. And um, that one picks up in verse 14. So it says this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Verse 14 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is an important verse for us, or an important passage for us as a church, and we're going to just quickly touch on this in the last 10 minutes or so. So a bit of context for this, for those of you who are interested. Jesus is teaching to a large crowd of people. He's speaking to a really, really large crowd on the side of a mountainside, a grassy hill, and in that crowd are Jesus' disciples. So Jesus has stood there. This passage, Matthew chapter 5, is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' longest monologue. And we see that he begins to teach the crowds of people. And you would imagine that within those crowds at the front, his disciples would kind of be running as like stewards for this type of thing, making sure that people were quiet, making sure that people were listening, that type of thing. But they would have been there. Uh, and in the first 12 verses, we see Jesus addressing the crowds. He said, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek. And he begins to talk about the kingdom of heaven. He begins to talk about these virtues of what it means to follow Jesus. And then we see, because he speaks very generally, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. But then in verse 13, we see Jesus switch from this general way of speaking into a specific way. What we understand from this is Jesus stops addressing the crowd and starts addressing his disciples. Now, the disciples were those who followed the call of Jesus when Jesus said, I want you to come and follow me, lay down your life, come follow me. So they laid down everything. Some of them were fishermen, some of them tax collectors, some of them doctors, that type of thing. They laid down the professions, they followed Jesus. And they're still picking up the ways of Jesus. So Jesus stops addressing the crowd, stops teaching. And in this moment, he teaches his disciples something really important here. And this is the way of a follower of Jesus. So what he's essentially outlining here is, this is what it means to be a follower of me. So you and I today, 2,000 years later, we have the opportunity to lean into that very same conversation. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus here in 2022? How can we do that? This Bible wasn't written to us. It was written for us, though. So if we understand that Jesus was talking to his disciples and saying, this is what it means to be a Christian, because it was new to them, then we can lean in and go, okay, this is what it means. This is what Jesus is saying it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
So a couple of, of um, observations I just want to lay on you today, and then we'll, uh, well, I want to I want to pray for you today, because this whole vision is about us going out. It is, you know, as I said, the church has to do some stuff. Okay, the church has a responsibility as an organization. We're going to create spaces for you to invite people into, to engage with people. We're going to equip leaders to make sure that those are well-led and to make sure that people are pastored and journeyed properly. And we're going to build people so that you know when your friends and when your family enter this church that they will be cared for and they will be built up. And we will do everything we can as a church to help people step into the future that God has placed within them through an encounter with Jesus. That's what we're here to do. So the nature of salt and light, Jesus is talking to his, to his disciples, and he, he uses these two pictures, salt and light. He says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Okay, so obviously I'm sure the disciples in that moment were like, you know, buckle in boys, here's another parable for them to decipher. Salt and light, salt and light, salt and light. See, the thing is about salt and light being used here as an example is really, really important. Both have a necessary impact on their environment, right? Many of us today, we like salt. You put salt in your food, it makes it taste a little bit better. Some like more salt than others. Not naming any names, Holly's not in at the front. And light, obviously we couldn't see if we didn't have light. We would all exist in darkness. Physically, I mean, not metaphorically. Physically, you could not see each other if there was no such thing as light. Jesus used these pictures. Salt and light have a necessary impact on their environment. Okay, a fundamental, critical impact on their environment. But here are two things that we need to understand about salt and light. First thing is this, both are fully involved in their environment, yet both are fully distinct from their environment. The whole nature of Jesus' picture here about salt and light is that both exist within their environment, yet both are fully distinct from their environment. So when Jesus says, boys, this is what it means to be a follower of me, then you and I get to lean in this morning. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, the way Jesus lays it out, he says you need to be in your environment, yet distinct from your environment. To be a follower of Jesus means to be fully present in the spheres that you exist in, yet completely other from the spheres that you exist in. So I want to look at these real quickly. Both are fully involved in their environment. There is a tendency within Christianity to withdraw from the world, right? It's like we sever any association to the world because it's sinful, and we don't want to be involved in that stuff, and we don't want to be seen to be involved in that stuff. So typically what happens within Christianity over the last couple thousand years is that we build these little bubbles of church, and we build these bubbles of Christian community, and we exist within them because it's safe, and it's secure, and it's warm, and it's comfortable, and you think like I think, and maybe not on everything, but on, on our value system, and it, it feels safe. And I, and I want to encourage you, Christian community and the church is utterly necessary. Yeah, I'm not even suggesting that's what Jesus is saying. Both are. It is completely, utterly necessary. But we build these little bubbles that we exist inside of so that we can talk in a certain Christian way and we can operate in a certain Christian way and we become so removed from the worlds that we exist in. We go into work and our body's there, but we're not fully present. And we go into our family settings and into our friends and we're... Our bodies are there, but we're not fully present because we're trying not to engage in these things and be seen with these people. And we, we, 
We want to build our comfort zone, which is often the church. Whereas if you look at the person of Jesus, sinners hung out with Jesus, and yet it was sinners that were changed. Sinners would follow Jesus around because there was something so magnetic about him that they just had to know what it was. And they came away changed. See, the place of safety and security that we like, I want to encourage you, is the church. It is Christian community. But we do not work in this place. We work from this place. We come together every Sunday to be encouraged and built up and equipped. Why? So we can go and do the ministry in our everyday lives. Okay, the vision of this church for this year by invitation only, an invitation to our lives, an invitation to our dinner tables, an invitation to church, an invitation to know Jesus, an invitation to hope, an invitation to future, an invitation to wholeness. But that will never happen if we do not exist in the world, if we do not exist fully present in the places that God has placed us. Some of you, I've been praying for years for your environment, work, family, whatever. And I want to maybe suggest, humbly slide across the table to you this morning that just maybe you are the answer to the prayer you've been praying for all these years. That God wants to use you in your environment. He doesn't want to deliver you from it. He wants to deliver your environment through you. God has placed you all in very unique places, places the church will never get, places I will never get. That's not the point. You are to carry, what does Jesus say? The light of the world into every single sphere you find yourself in. Yet some of us are withdrawing from the world. If we are going to see our worlds changed, the simple fact is we are going to need to be in them. I want to ask you this morning, I'll challenge you this morning, are there some areas of your life where you've maybe retracted and you're not fully present? Maybe because you've put it down to trying not to sin or trying not to be associated with sinners that maybe you've actually severed some of those relationships and cut yourself off and existing within the bubble. My advice to you this morning, my encouragement to you is ask the Holy Spirit to activate you again in that place. You're like, oh, I'm not around that many people. Wherever you are, wherever you exist, there is a necessary impact that you need to have. God has placed something within you that the world needs to see and experience. But we cannot change the world if we are not in it. So both are fully involved in their environment. But here is the sort of balancing opposite, the sort of marker, if you will. Both are fully distinct from their environment. Both are fully other from their environment. See, salt and light only work when they're in them, but opposite to their environment. How would Jesus put this? Imagine if you had the, if you had like the saltiest salt and you, you didn't put it in the food, you would say, well, what's the point? Or maybe if you, if you covered uh, the brightest light and you, you never, you'd be like, well, it's kind of pointless, isn't it? Like I said, both need to be fully in. But imagine if you put salt in your food and the salt wasn't salty. You would say, oh, what's the point? 
the very fact that salt adds something to food is other, it carries something that the food doesn't. It's the same with light. Imagine if you were to shine a very, very, very dim light into the darkness and you just go. Both salt and light are in their environment, but distinct from their environment. Some Christians love the in the world bit. Okay, some people, maybe some of you are like this. You, you, you don't do the Christian bubble thing. In fact, you're actually like, no, nah, I love being in the world. Like, I, I'm, I'm evangelizing. Like, yeah, you've been at the club quite often recently. Like, you, I'm evangelizing people. I'm doing my thing. I'm out, like, spreading the gospel. But you look just like everyone else. Salt and light only work when they're in and they're other than their environment. The problem is so many Christians through a desire to be relevant and to relate to people, they look just like their environment. They sound just like their environment. They talk just like their environment. They behave just like their environment. They move just like their environment. And what does Jesus say? What good is it anymore for salt to lose its saltiness? In and other, in and other. To be a follower of Jesus is to be in the world, yet other to it. In the world, yet other to it. Our impact as a community of Jesus followers will really ignite and activate when we are both fully present in our environments and yet fully different to them. What does that look like? Holiness, justice, peace, wholeness, love, grace. In other words, walking, talking versions of Jesus, as we live in the person of Jesus, that is how our environments will change. I wanna ask you this morning, have you maybe lost some of your saltiness? Have you maybe covered your light? You know, as we as a church enter into this year where we're looking about what does it mean to be a public people? What does it mean to live out our faith? where our friends and family and neighbors can see that we are other, see that we are different, yet completely present and involved. Have you lost that saltiness? But I believe that through an encounter with Jesus, he can give it you back. It is not lost for good. Chris, if you want to flip to the next slide, I want to read this. Richard T. France says this. So disciples must function in society, but as an alternative and challenging community. It is by their visible goodness that they will bring glory to the God who has made them so. We are to function within the society that we live in, yet as a beautiful alternative, a dynamic other for people to see and go, why is it that their life always lines up in the craziest of times? Why is it they have joy in the midst of pain, peace in the midst of chaos? Why is it they are so always passionate about this thing that they believe? In yet other. And next slide for me, Chris. And this is where I want to end. I want to get the band up. In Matthew 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 16, in the message version, it, it interprets this phrase, let your light shine as this. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives and by opening up to others you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. If I want to sum up what it is that I'm encouraging you to do, this year, I want you to get it straight. By invitation only is not a 
corporate church scheme to grow the church, to get more people on seats, to see more people come through these doors. By invitation only is a challenge to the church that we carry the most important message of hope and peace that the world has ever known. It's time to offer it to people. It's time to extend an invitation to say, hey, your life is far too necessary to be living the way that you're living. And through the God's spirit who is chasing every single person down, I believe that we will see a move of God in our time. So to sum it up, this is what he says, keep open house, be generous with your lives. The call that I, am, I am, want to commission you into this morning, when I want to pray for you in just a moment, it is not to be bold simply to invite people to a gathering. It's not to be bold simply to tell someone about Jesus. It's not bold just to pray for someone, although all those things require boldness. What I want to commission you into this morning is that we would be a church that keeps open house, that is known as a people that are generous with our lives, generous with our finance, generous with our efforts, generous with our gifts, that people would see the way that we live, that people would see the way that we act, the way that we love, the way that we stand out, what does the Bible say? It will prompt people to open up with God. That the very witness of you and I will not draw attention to ourselves or glory to ourselves, but will cause people to say, who is this God that you serve? Because I want to know him. So I want to encourage you, can you stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray for all of us this morning and I want to offer a opportunity for two groups of people but all of us will feature in that second group but the first group maybe you're here and you have never said yes to Jesus before you've heard about this great love of God who sent himself to die on a cross to give you hope to give you freedom to pay for your sin to allow you to be who he has made you to be if you have never said yes to Jesus I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment to do so and the second group of people, like I said, will in include all of us. That I want to commission you to be a people that carry the light of the world. Because maybe some of our lights have gone out. Some of them are flickering. Some of them are a bit tired. Some of them have been going a long time and are a little bit disenfranchised. But today, I want to commission you to be who God has called us as a church to be. That we'd be a people of invitation into the presence of God. So with every head bowed, if you feel comfortable, I want to encourage you to place your hands out in front of you. And if you have never said yes to Jesus in this moment, I want you to simply say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I want to know you. Would you forgive me? Let me know who I am. Father God, I want to thank you for every single person in this room that said yes to you today for the very first time. God, I thank you that salvation has visited this house, that those people that have responded is not just a response to an ideology, it's not a response to just a way of life, but it is a response to the God of heaven who loves us with an unending love, who wants to give us purpose and peace and offer us a second chance at life. God, right now, would you just through the revelation of your spirit, would you fill them up, Holy Spirit, right now? 
May they know you so deeply this morning. And in Jesus' name, we commission Light Church this morning to be who you have called us to be, light bearers of you. God, may we be so set on fire with your spirit this morning that as we leave this room, we cannot but share of what we have experienced. God, may we be people that are in our communities, in our worlds, in our families, in our workplaces, fully present, yet give us the grace and boldness to be other than them. God, right now, would you, through your Holy Spirit, commission your church into action this morning? Fill us up, Holy Spirit. Would you come and move? Would you come and speak? As we are sent back into the world to do your work, God, I pray we would walk with a boldness. We would walk with an authority. We would walk with an understanding that heaven is behind us. And God, may we see a move of you. May we see these rows full of people turning back to you as their Savior. May we see people healed in this church. May we, we see breakthrough in this church. Holy Spirit, would you come and breathe on us right now? We are yours. We are here. We are open. God, we thank you. We commit this vision to you. We commit every single penny that is given in this next week. God, move upon the generosity of your church. We declare you are the great provider. We have never gone without anything we needed. So God, as your church is generous and as your church steps up to count the cost, would you bless and return in, a, in an abundant way to every single person here? We thank you that you want to do something special with this church. We commit this to you in Jesus' name we pray.